This episode of Stuck in the East has been brought to you by... Well, William, what do you think? I like it, Randy. It's very nice. I like the way you got the marriage and stuff hooked up over there. It's very pretty. I like that. The 80s Cruise. Find out more at the80scruise.com. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Coleman, I've had the most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. I lost my job, I lost my house. Penelope hated me. It was all because of this terrible, awful Negro. What in heaven's name is going on here? He tried to rob the payroll, Randolph. He attacked me in broad daylight. I didn't do nothing, man. This guy bumped into me. I did not. You knocked me down and tried to grab my briefcase. Yeah, but it was an accident, man. I'm talking about a business proposition, Louis. I help you get yourself back on your feet and you pay me, in cash, five figures. That's the deal, and it's not subject to negotiation. Understood? By the way, food and rent are not the only things around here that cost money. You sleep on the couch. How could you do this to us after everything we've done for you? Oh, see, I made Lewis a bet here. Lewis bet me that we couldn't both get rich and put you on the poorhouse at the same time. You didn't think we could do it. I won. I lost. One dollar. Thank you, Lewis. Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we tackle a movie that, frankly, is pretty perfect for starting the year of 2016. It's time to honor Trading Places. Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. With me, as always, he's my favorite L.A.-based commodities broker and heroin dealer. It wasn't heroin. It was angel dust. PCP. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, Brad in L.A. You're my co-host and angel dust dealer. I wish my bitches would get here. I ain't got time to be sitting in the cell with you. <laughs> Is it just too close to uh, Thanksgiving to be a jive turkey, Brad? Yeah. <laughs> Man, we have waited for years to do this podcast. No, it's is it because we love it so much that we have not felt maybe up to the task? But it really is the ultimate all holiday movie. It right. spans Thanksgiving to New Year's. Right, and I think I think we've had a hard time kind of saying, well, is this a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or a New Year's movie? And so is we're it like, maybe a smoked salmon movie. <laughs> oh my God! You know, I watched that uh, Trading Places again last <laughs> night. 
And the one scene that stands out, the smoked salmon in the Santa beard. Oh, it's so funny. It is so funny. I mean, uh, I mean, we'll get into it. But yeah. Ackroyd yeah. is so good in this. This is, my, this is we, have, we have a lot to say about this movie. And uh, frankly, we have all the time in the world, but you don't. So we're going to try to con- uh, condense it into an hour or so. I worked real hard for this, Louie. Hope you know what you're doing. Thank you, Ophelia. What are you doing? Uh, Trading Places actually released, although we think of it as a holiday movie, released on June 8th, 1983. This was a summer movie? Summer movie. I hate it when they do that. I hate when they, yeah, why? I think Elf, by the way, was a summer movie. Gremlins trick. um, The original title was supposed to be Black and White. Oh, come on. Really? (laughs) Really? Living in perfect harmony. We're talking salt and pepper. Sammy and me. Stevie and me are peachy king. You are white. You are black. And who cares? As we all know from our homework, uh, Training Places, directed by the great John Landis. So uh, naturally, as we all know, that means with all of his movies, it includes his trademark phrase, see you next Wednesday. Where, Brad, in uh, Training Places do we see or hear, see you next Wednesday? It is on a movie poster in Ophelia's bedroom. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I know. Hamlet's girlfriend. <laughs> she kills herself. herself. He goes crazy. She kills herself. God, so good. Um, Dan Aykroyd, as you mentioned before, stars as an upper-class commodities broker. Eddie Murphy is the street hustler whose lives are reversed as a result of a bet between two tycoon brothers, Randolph and Mortimer Duke, played by the great Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici, both of whom sadly passed in the early 90s. They're so they're so good in this. Oh, I mean, the cast is great in this movie, top to bottom. There's not a bad. There's not. There's not a moment where you say, "Look, that could have been done by somebody better." We've done it before. <laughs> uh, Trading places. Half of that is from me. <laughs> I could go on all day. <laughs> it it opened up third at the box office on its opening weekend, finishing behind what two movies? Do you imagine, Brad? Okay, summer '83. One should be somewhat familiar to you because it's kind yeah, of the news these days. Yeah, the Jedi. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Geez, summer '83. Um, you're never gonna get it. Okay, well then tell me. Super- Superman three. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. But you can't remember Superman. Superman three is awful. Right, but Superman and Superman two were good. We're good, so. and so I think you know. Yeah, we didn't have Rotten Tomatoes back then. We had right. to actually go to the movie to decide if it was any. Exactly, game. exactly. Trading Places did manage to end the year as the fourth highest growing film of nineteen eighty three behind anyone, anyone. Well, Return of the Jedi is. Um, gosh, let's see, eighty three. There has to be some, you know, like feel good chick flick. Yeah. Oh wait, wait. 83 is um, Shirley MacLaine and um, Deborah Winger. Terms of Endearment was that year, wasn't it? Correct. Um, let's see. You'd have, to be a, I, you'd have to be a maniac to get this last one. Oh, <laughs> is it Flashdance? It's Flashdance. I've never seen Flashdance. What? I've never seen Flashdance. Oh, my God. I don't know what to say. Uh, it's, uh, you're not missing much, to be honest. Say you're sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, um, I remember years ago 
we gave away. We were at some stuck in the eighties event at a baseball game. Like it was eighties night at the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, like at the Rays. Oh, cool. And we were giving away um, like promo copies of movies that we had. And um, <laughs> trying to give away flash dance, so no one would take it. We gave it. I remember who we gave it to. We gave it to Dominic Cesario, who, as far as I know, doesn't listen to the show anymore. But he, he at that time, he was in Tampa. We miss and, you, Dominic. We miss you, Dominic. Come back. And come back. Um, All is forgiven. We gave him. We gave him flash dance. I remember he emailed me like a week later and said, "I forgot how much I don't like this movie." It was a stone groove, my man. You are the most righteous. Yeah, man. right. Just get the. F- yeah, man, let's go. Shit. Come on. Well, despite what Dominic thinks, uh, Trading Places still maintains an 88% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Not surprising. No, it's Not good. Surprising. I think it holds up. I, I'm going to say this right now. I've seen it twice lately. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say that it's Eddie Murphy's most consistently funny movie. What do you think, Valentine? I can think of three real good reasons why I shouldn't do something like that, George. Yeah, he's very good in it. Um, and and Dan Aykroyd also. I mean, the way that they both of them, yeah. When they trade places, trading places. When they change places, <laughs> they really kind of put on each other's roles, and it's fun to see both characters kind of move to the other end of the stratum. You know, um, Aykroyd becomes a great bum, and Eddie Murphy becomes this. You know, he's polished and. You know, he's a conscientious employee, and it's just it's fun to see them occupy those roles, and they just they nail it. Yeah, how much for the gun? You know, <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert, who I'm, who everyone knows I love, uh, the late film critic for the Chicago Sun Times, he gave Training Places three and a half stars out of four. He wrote, "quote What's most visible in the movie is the engaging acting. Murphy and Ackroyd are perfect foils for each other. They both play characters with a lot of native intelligence to go along with their prejudices." peculiarities and personal styles it's fun to watch them thinking yeah this movie does i joke all the time about the great fourth wall breaks but this does have the best fourth wall break of the 80s (laughs) commodities are agricultural products like coffee that you had for breakfast wheat which is used to make bread pork bellies which is used to make bacon which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. It's not even a whole beat. It's like a half a beat that Eddie Everything. Murphy puts the camera. It's fantastic. It's, it's so good. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know that this podcast is going to go by and we're going to say anything negative about it. I really don't think we're going to say. I can't. I would have to struggle to th- come up with something negative about this movie. I um, wish it was longer. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. No, it's perfect. It's perfectly. Uh, I will say, if you have to say anything negative. The plot itself is not all that original. Yeah, uh, okay. It's a little Prince and the Popper-ish. Yeah, Mark Twain would have something to say about it. Uh, George Bernard Shaw and Pygmalion might have a mention about it. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, but see, now that's that's where it's different because the elevator pitch for this movie, and you'd have to find a pretty sophisticated you know, film studio executive, is it's Pygmalion with the Prince and the Popper. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, here's $10 million. Only it has a whole lot of tits. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not a whole lot. I mean, it's it's all gratuitous, but it's not. There's No, there's a lot. There's a lot more than I thought. Like when when I was watching it last night, I remember, of course, there's the famous Jamie Lee Curtis scene. You sleep on the couch. Yeah. You know, everything in this house costs money. But um, when uh, when Eddie. There's also the party. Party. Where not fewer than three women are topless. 
Yeah. Well, hey, it's that kind of party. I, I, well, I, I gotta tell you briefly, this was my son Cameron's first R rated movie. Oh. Awkward. No, it was great. Really? Okay. Yeah. He enjoyed it. He was like, wow, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, well, yeah, I haven't been showing you R rated movies. It was just he and I. It was his well, mom was. I mean, the whole the whole early eighties though, I mean, and this would qualify for that, was like the time of gratuitous topless Caddyshack. Gratuitous yeah. topless. Oh, yeah. Airplane. It wasn't a matter of if, it was when. Yeah. I mean, so, the honestly, they got it out of the way up front. Right, right. So, then that's fine. Uh, let's talk about the casting for a minute. Did you know, Brad in L.A., that this film was originally conceived as a vehicle for Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor? That's right. That's right. We're bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. Darn right. Ooh. I did not. I had no idea that that was, uh, that was where they were going. And, I, you know, this... This is after Stir Crazy and the other and Silver Streak, yeah. Uh, it should be after both of them, correct? Yeah. So they were kind of riding the wave as the you know the funny white guy black guy combo. I don't think this movie works with the two of them. I can't see Gene Wilder uh, in the in the role. Um, I can see Richard Pryor in the role. Yeah, Richard Pryor could pull it off. Gene Wilder, mm, that's the stretch. Um, I, yeah, the two of them together were too zany. Yeah, I mean, well, this Gene didn't Wilder, need any of that kind of energy. Gene Wilder plays the straight, sophisticated guy in Silver Streak, which has been, by the way, on cable nonstop lately for some oh, reason. Yeah. Um. So anyway, as as the story goes, when uh, when Richard Pryor dropped out of the project, and Eddie Murphy came on board, um, it was Eddie Murphy who made a um attempt. He he was the one who pushed basically for Wilder you get to be nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. You like it. He made a push for Wilder to get out because he didn't want people to think that he was the next, you know, Richard Pryor. Okay. Well, John Gielgud was originally offered the role as Coleman the Butler, huh. which I think smart move on his part not to take because this was yeah. after Arthur. Yeah, it's like, hey, how many Butler parts do you want right. me to do? So Del, so Del- I change my name to Jeeves. <laughs> so Delholm Elliott gets the part. Um, most of us know uh, Delholm from uh, playing Marcus Brody in the Indiana Jones flicks. And if you think about it, the movie kind of hinges on this character because the you know the Duke brothers call him and say you know basically lock him out of the house. Right. And he says, "Okay, you know it's your house." Of course, when he, when he hangs up, he says. But he agrees to do it. And if he doesn't do it, then the whole thing falls apart. And, and to me, this is one of the more poignant scenes early in the movie when Coleman answers the door and it's um, Lewis there trying to get right. inside. Well, there's and, something wrong with my key. And, and Coleman yeah. has to basically be the tough guy. And here's how it went. Yes. Oh. Coleman, could you please let me in? I'm, I'm having trouble with my key. Who are you? What do you want? Coleman, just unchain the door and let me in. I'm in no mood for jokes. Coleman. There's no Coleman here. You've made a mistake. Excuse me for a moment. Coleman! Let me in! If you don't go away, I shall be forced to call the police. I really think this is an interesting clip. It's, it doesn't really come across quite so well just hearing the audio, but you can see it on Coleman's face. 
he's not comfortable with the idea that he's basically being a pawn in this stupid game. Well, the the other thing, I think maybe the reason that he agrees to do it, and not to do a bunch of psychoanalysis here, but, you know, Winthrop doesn't understand his butler at all. He right. doesn't, you know, he takes him completely for granted. You know, he's making this fancy, you know, flambe dessert table side, la, la, la. And it's like, oh, we'll take our drinks in the other room. It's like, what about your dessert? He's like, oh, you have it. Like he's giving him a treat. And right. the next thing you see is him throwing it in the garbage. Like, well, I'm not eating that crap. Yeah. Um, next on board, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as Ophelia. Um, her sister, by the way, J- Kelly Curtis, plays the character Muffy. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's fantastic. Look at Muffy real closely and you can see the family resemblance. I uh, will. You could say that this is one of Jamie Lee Curtis's first big hits, but uh, you'd have to be ignoring Halloween, yeah. uh, The Fog, and, of course, her brilliant voice work as the narrator and the computer <laughs> on Escape from New York. <laughs> Which I did not know about till I read the the trivia notes. So yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know about that either. Um, yeah, I think you could you could say one of her first big hits. I think that's true. It's a first mainstream success. Well, eh, Halloween's pretty mainstream. I don't know. We'll was just it? say one of her first big hits. I mean, and probably the breakthrough role that gave her everything was a fish called Wanda. So anyway, um, one of the one of the more bizarre things, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, Swedish disguise for Ophelia. Yeah, which uh, is not very Swedish looking. Now, come in, my child. Join the party. Hey, let me see. Now, you would be from uh, Austria. Am I right? No, I am Inga from Sweden. Sweden? But you're wearing lederhosen. <laughs> uh, it comes about because Jamie Lee Curtis couldn't do an Austrian accent. Huh. So she hadn't watched Sound of Music enough? What? Well, maybe not. But I think the pure genius... In trading places, is um, the bit parts. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just great casting all the way down. Um, and I'm not going to say that Paul Gleason as Clarence Beeks is a bit part, but you know, maybe it is. I mean, obviously, we all know Paul Gleason as the principal, uh, Principal Vernon in Breakfast Club. But to me, Clarence Beeks might be his most brilliant role. Oh, it's no, great. no, Breakfast Club is still it. But you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's right on. It's on the podium. <laughs> It's on the podium. Uh, in a bizarre piece of trivia, G. Gordon Liddy was actually offered the part of Clarence Beeks, but turned it down after what? discovering what happens to <laughs> Beeks at the end. One gorilla, two gorilla. I mean, even G. Gordon Liddy doesn't want to be <laughs> the by a gorilla. So, yeah. well, um, got the limits, Steve. Uh, Frank Oz plays the cop who oh, arrests. I love that cameo. Oh my god! If you, I mean, you can spot him right off the bat. The voices. Yeah, such a dead giveaway. Um. Bo Diddley is the pawnbroker. Man, that watch is so hot, it's smoking. Hot? Do you mean to imply stolen? Jim Belushi as the guy in the gorilla outfit on the Amtrak train. Monkey! Monkey! Excellent, excellent. And then our favorite, our favorite small part of the yeah. movie. Al Franken as baggage handler number one. Did you mean Senator Al Franken? I do now. Senator, Senator Franken. Uh, can you name the other baggage handler? You should be able to. Um, really? I recognize him more than I recognize Al Franken. Yeah. Tom but Davis. I can't remember his name. Tom Davis. Uh, I'm dressed as, uh, as a baggage handler. Can you imagine how embarrassed I was when I saw there was someone at the party with the same costume I had? Tom Davis. Um, 
Let's see. He, I think he was in the Coneheads movie. <laughs> yeah, everybody was in the Coneheads movie. Who are you kidding? Um, and then, of course, we've already mentioned uh, Mortimer Duke before. Don Amici, uh, this was his first movie in 13 years. Is it really? Wow. 1970 was his last oh movie. Gosh. What had he been doing? Drinking orange juice and don't, swimming laps? I don't know. Uh, he, as you imply, though, he would later win the Oscar um, a couple years after Trading Places for his best supporting role in Cocoon. I've never seen that either. What? I'm kidding. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've seen Cocoon. Cocoon's, Cocoon was filmed in my hometown. Uh, I know. That's why I knew I could get a rise out of you that's, with that one. That just sucks. You're just Do you know who you f***ing with? Do you know who you f***ing with? Back the f*** up. Back up. You know you f***ing with in cell number four on the ninth floor. You know what's so much fun about this movie, though, is, um, I mean, we all know it so well. We think we know it well anyway. But when you start investigating it and you look at some of the trivia behind it, it is truly bizarre, some of the crazy crap that you find out. The story about the Dukes cornering the orange juice market, uh, from what I read, was inspired by the Silver Thursday market crash of uh, 1980 in okay. which in which the Hunt Brothers of Texas tried to corner the silver market and subsequently failed to meet a $100 million margin oh, call. Jeez. <laughs> we don't have that kind of money. <laughs> yeah. Seize the Hunt Brothers' assets. Um, Place the Hunt Brothers' seats on the exchange up for sale. <laughs> Eddie Murphy would later admit um, in the closing scenes of the movie uh, that while he was on the floor of the stock exchange or the commodity broker, the commodity exchange, yeah, the commodity pit, yeah, he could only follow the script. He could not improvise at all because he had no idea what was going on. He found the entire <laughs> thing too confusing. Well, it is kind of. I don't know if you want to get into that now, or if you want to talk about it later. Let's talk about but, it now. Okay, so here's what's happening in that scene: is obviously, and this works if you know something no one else knows, right? Obviously, Winthrop and Valentine have the real crop report, right? And they know everything's fine. They've given the Duke brothers a fake one that says, you know, there's no oranges. There's only six oranges left in North America. So they think, okay, price is going to go up. So just go out there and buy it. doesn't matter because the price is going to keep going up. No matter how high we make it go, it's going to keep going up. So Winthrop and Valentine, however, know that's not going to happen. They go out and just start selling. They're, they're, they're short. It's, it's honestly, Steve, and this is, will get your attention. It's called... <laughs> Naked short selling. Mm, nude short selling. Naked short selling because they don't have anything to back it up. They're completely exposed. So they're buying the, – they're they're basically – they're selling contracts in April that they don't own yet. Well, wait, wait, they do have some money though because they have Ophelia's money and they have Coleman's money. Yeah. They needed that money to get onto the floor. Okay. Basically, they needed like $100,000 in an account someplace so that they could come in. Okay. And, and get onto the trading floor. Otherwise, you know, you and I could walk in there and say, "I'll buy some, you know, frozen concentrated orange juice futures." So they're selling these futures that they don't own yet, and because they're selling and everyone else is buying, it d- keeps the price down, which is is kind of weird. So they they're selling, 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 and then when the crop report and everyone else is buying, right? Right. So then when the crop report comes in, it's normal. Then they start basically buying back. They start buying futures to fulfill the contracts that they've already sold and because the orange crops are fine the price drops to nothing so or drops way down so the difference basically between what they 
the average that they sold at and the average that they bought at. I've seen one analysis that says they made $250 million. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, you know, just goes to show you what you can do, uh, how you can make a lot of money short selling in a short amount of time if you know something nobody else knows. Which is illegal, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally illegal. And it's funny you'd say that because Congress has actually passed a law that they call the um, Eddie Murphy law. <laughs> That's like a, a, a circuit breaker kind of thing in, in trading. Or no, no, I'm sorry. The Eddie, the Eddie Murphy law is a, a law that keeps you from acting on insider information that you get from those kind of sources. It's kind of funny. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, so this wouldn't really work in real life, but you know, hey, that's okay. It would it would have maybe worked back then. A couple more interesting things about this movie: when um, Winthorpe and Valentine arrive at the World Trade Center, which is always a sad moment when you see that. Yeah, it is when you realize that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Winthorpe tells Valentine, "In this building, it's either kill or be killed." Oh gosh, um, that line was removed. From uh, future TV broadcasts after nine uh, eleven, out of respect for the victims, um, rumor has it, and I have not been able to verify this, that the Westin Hotel in Philadelphia had or still has a restaurant called Winthorpe and Valentine. Nice, um, Lewis Dan Aykroyd, his prison number when he's arrested for Angel Dust seven four seven four five zero five eight, the same prison number as Jake. Uh, and Blues Brothers, played by John Belushi. <laughs> nice. Um, and, of course, uh, what every true 80s fan knows, uh, Randolph and Mortimer Duke appear in Eddie Murphy's movie, Coming to America, five years later. Randolph, leave me alone, Mortimer. Randolph, Randolph! I'm still not talking to you. Look. We're back. Is that not maybe the best? If 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 Trading Places isn't the funniest Eddie Murphy movie, then it might be Coming to America. I mean, in my mind, those two are neck and neck. Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop is funny, but it has a lot of moments but that it's are just not primarily a comedy. Yeah, there's a whole there's like entire stretches that's nothing but like. Everybody shooting themselves up at uh, Vickler Maitland's estate. You know, it's like I mean, That's true. Going to strip clubs and sniffing coffee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say These like super cops. The best laughs that Eddie Murphy ever got are probably from Beverly Hills Cop, but consistently funny throughout is either Trading Places or Coming to America. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the people generally agree with me. Uh, when Stone Groove, <laughs> my man. <laughs> you know what else is Stone Groove? The, the Seggies. Ah, the mystical refrain of reader mailbag. Uh, we have a letter today from Beth in Turkey. And Brad, take a deep breath and tell us her tale. Okay, I'm going to take a sip of my water. I'll take a sip of my wild turkey. Yeah, lucky dog. Mm. Okay. So this is an epic letter. Strap in, you know, make some popcorn, cast your mind, and here we go. She begins. Hi, Brad and Steve. Oh, Brad and Steve. I knew I liked her. I know you both love sad stories from the 80s from readers. I don't know if this is podcast worthy, but it's a fun little story I would like to share. 
Back in 1986, I was in middle school, 11 years old, and just starting seventh grade. My best friend and I were going through our yearbooks to see which guys we thought were cute for the following school year. People do that? Girls so do. Much, so much pressure. Girls. Oh, man. I'm glad I was clueless then and now. Anyway. Well, the year before, I had just seen The Sure Thing for the first time, and I had a crush on John Cusack. Who didn't, really? While looking through the yearbook, I saw a boy that I thought looked like Cusack, so right there and then, I decided this boy was the one I was going to like for the year. Jason was in 8th grade, and I was going to be in 7th grade. This is going to be perfect! Anyway, we started our school year, and I would see him in the hall and secretly look at him when he wasn't watching, and hope he would somehow notice me and fall madly in love... Ah, youth. I had recently seen the movie Secret Admirer with C. Thomas Howell and Kelly Preston, and I thought it was so sweet and cute. You see, I've always been such a romantic that my friends always joke, even to this day, that I want my life to be an 80s movie. Yeah, get in line. (laughs) I was always trying to imitate movies, such as trying to make my own clothes like Molly Ringwald and Pretty in Pink. So, after seeing Secret Admirer, I had the brilliant idea that I was going to do the same thing. I would have Lori Laughlin write letters for me. No, wait, wait. I would write letters. I would write him letters secretly, and then we would fall madly in love when he found out it was me, and he would steal my boyfriend's uh, Alfa Romeo and drive down to the pier and st- Okay, wait, I'm projecting. Sorry. Yes, yes. You're not reading the letter anymore, Brad. Sorry, I was I'm just I'm Yeah, okay. Sorry. I'm back on track. Beth continues, I started writing these letters and signing them B-E-V. There's no significance to the initials. I just thought it was something he couldn't trace back to me. I would get a pass to leave class and slip a note into his locker through the vents. These weren't love letters, more like, hey, how are you? This is what I did over the weekend, you know, blah, blah, that kind of stuff. As it turned out, I was on the girls' basketball team, and he was on the boys' basketball team. One day, he started going together with a teammate of mine who also happened to be a friend. Stupid me. I had told her about the letters I was writing to Jason. I swore her to secrecy, but as any seventh grade girl knows, secrecy doesn't last long. Now, as an aside, Steve, I'm reminded of the great U2 lyric, a secret is something that one person knows. There's no way everyone in school doesn't know about this in a week. Here we go. My so-called friend spilled the beans. Now Jason knew I was the one writing the letters. I was so upset. But it turns out he told his girlfriend that he wanted to meet me. So one day, my friend stopped me in the hall to introduce me to Jason. He was very nice and said hi. I think I mumbled hi and then kept walking. The stress. Oh, the stress of being in the 80s in the 7th grade. Flash forward to the end of the school year. I kept a whole page in my yearbook for Jason to sign. Boy, that is, that's devotion right there. Yeah. The last day of school, I was so nervous and waited for him at his locker after the last class ended. When I asked him to sign my book, he said, sure, and he wrote something and gave it back to me. I was beyond thrilled. My crush signed my yearbook. OMG. (laughs) I was too nervous to read what he wrote. So, man, this is just. This is good. Stressing me out. I know. How's this going to end? I was too nervous to read what he wrote, so I waited till I got home and opened up the page. Well, it was far from a page worth. It read, hey, Beth, it's been great knowing you. Have fun in the eighth grade. Have a great summer, Jason. <laughs> oh, no, stay sweet. You know, I'm uh, okay. Oof. I don't know, Beth. That's bad. But Beth continues, this was enough for me. I was so happy that Jason was kind enough to write something. 
I eventually went to high school with him. We never really spoke, but he was always my crush until he graduated the year before me. He's now my Facebook friend, married with a few kids. One of these days, I'll get the courage to ask him about that one time in middle school. Maybe he's listening to this podcast. For now, I remain hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Signed, Beth, your biggest fan in Turkey. P.S. My husband and I are booked on the 80s cruise. Looking forward to meeting you guys in person. Let's go back and talk about how Jason signed the yearbook for a second. I got to okay. admit, I sucked at signing yearbooks back then. I didn't know what to say. Well, I, I didn't have any friends. I certainly didn't have any female friends, so I don't think I wrote uh-huh. much of many girls' yearbooks. Yeah. That's sad. But yeah, I mean, I think you have your kind of your standard patter, right? Like, hey, good to have you in math class. You were really funny. I look forward to hanging out with you again next year. <clears throat> have a great summer. I got a lot of from from you know honestly, my only mechanism for meeting girls was helping them with schoolwork. So I got a lot of stay smart. Like that was something I could like a switch I could flip. <laughs> like, oh, thanks, really Listen, appreciate it. You know what I got a lot of? You were too cool to be forgotten. <laughs> nice and look at you now the whole internet loves you Steve. i am too nerdy to be forgiven <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you a funny story about beth so i know that beth sent you years ago sent you a bunch of stuff from uh, space camp turkey where she works right? right 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 so she sent me a package of stuff and i got it about a year ago and i'm like oh this is really cool i open it up it's this big envelope and there's there's a t-shirt and a bunch of stickers and all this stuff and a tube of self-tanner. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is this? And Katie's watched me open this envelope. She's like, what on earth is going on? Who is sending you lotion in the mail? <clears throat> so I sent her an email, and I was like, you know, gosh, Beth, that was really thoughtful of you to send me this envelope. What the f*** is going on with this? You know, and I'm like really trying to be nice about it because I don't, you know, I don't really know. And it turns out that basically the Turkish authorities had gone through the package that she sent me and pulled out some stuff and put in the self-tanner. <laughs> I've never heard that story before. Have I not told you that? It was just like, oh, oh my, my God. Gosh. I don't remember it. That's great. <laughs> if I had known that I was going to see her on the cruise, I would have saved it so I could give it back to her. Holy moly. That is funny. It was just – it was the, the oddest thing. I'm like, wow, this is – what a cool care package. I got a T-shirt and some – Victoria's Secret self-tanning lotion. <laughs> oh, jeez. There's just, there's just no way that anybody would believe that story. No, no, no. It's just, I, I know. Yeah, it doesn't not, make any I'm sense. I'm not exactly sure I do. I just want to say that right now. Well, you'll have to talk to Katie about it. <laughs> okay. We're going to hold that over you at some point. I'm just saying. That's, that's fair. Uh, that's a great letter. Um, as always, we truly do. We truly do love the stories of woe. From the 80s. Um, actually, I wrote Beth back um, after I, I read this email and I said, um, if we gave you a seat on the hot tub time machine, would you have done anything differently back um, in the 80s with Jason? And she wrote back, quote, well, if I knew then what I know now, I would have been more brave and tried to be his girlfriend, as in going together. Going together. Going together. Um, I used to be shy and not think I was the pretty girl. But when I look back and pics, I think, yes. I was a pretty girl, and uh, why wasn't I more self-confident? Well, <clears throat> there is untold beauty in youth. That's just a yeah. fact. Innocence is uh, stunning, and uh, it's a great letter. Um, as always, we love your letters. Send them to sit80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. 
Uh, you know the drill. We will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s, and if you can get it right, you get entered into the drawing. Drawing? Drawing. Drawing. I don't know why I try to make a deal of that every episode. For a Stuck in the 80s bottle opener. Or or maybe some other swag. Um, we're taking a bunch of swag on the 80s cruise with us, and whatever doesn't get uh, scooped up, we'll bring home and give away to you. Anyway, no more hesitating. Here was the clip from our last show, which was like a month ago. So uh, cast your mind way back. Ah, oh, yes, that's Police Academy. I, I honestly don't remember the last move time it, we did. Move it, move it, come on. Well, no, I remember the clip now, but I'm like, when was that? What show was that? Oh, it was like it was like late November. Yeah, sorry um, guys. We yeah, bad. it was a really busy month. Anyway, um, who were the winners, Brad? Winners this week include Keith Nettles, Greg Williams in Knoxville, Bernie the Dutch Oven Lindemann in Sydney, Australia, Mike Z in Pasadena, Dangerous Dan in Chino Hills, California, PJ Varechia, Peter Ryan, Tom, I'm not a pervert, I was just looking for a Turbo Man doll in Austria, sorry, Tom, no accent that time, Alexander Millimeter Peter, and Marie in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, this week we asked Beth uh, in Turkey to pick the clip so pay attention here's beth's mystery clip my philosophy is to sleep late drive fast and not oh. take any of this shit seriously if you know it email us at sit80sgmail.com or steve in the 80s or brad in the 80s at gmail.com and tune in next week to find out if you are a wiener Ah, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. Um, same spiel, different day. We'll play a clip. <laughs> we'll play a clip from a song from the 80s. If you know it, we will um, enter your name into the drawing for that beloved bottle opener. Pay attention. Here was the clip from over a month ago. That's "Don't Let Go" by Wang Chung. I'm so excited to see these guys. Oh, my God. If they don't play a full set, I want to hear like every song I want to hear on the 80s cruise. And if they don't, then you and I will just pick those little bastards up and throw them overboard. We'll just, we'll just keep knocking on their door. We'll just keep knocking. Hey, man. Hey, hey, man. Hey, I, hey. I brought a tape recorder. Hey, hey, can you can you just... Here, I, brought, I brought a sequencer. Can you just play some stuff? Yeah, how about To Live and Die in L.A., huh? Oh, yeah, baby. That oh. gets played or nobody gets off the damn boat. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, okay? I'll get up. We'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. <laughs> uh, not a whole lot of people got that. I'm kind of sad. But uh, go ahead and list them. Just makes me weep, but I will weep quietly while I read the winners, which include John in Phoenix, Kevin in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada, Kurt in Dirty Jersey, and Tim in Harrisburg, PA. Okay, we now know the winners. Let's spin the wheel and find out who gets the bottle opener. And the winner is John in Phoenix. Woohoo! Excellent. Uh, John, send us your snail mail address and we will get that bottle opener to you. I'm actually all caught up on mailing those out right now. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. So, so John, send it to me. I got the envelopes. I got it all right here. Ready to go. Yeah, he's ready to do some licking. Just saying. <laughs> 
Uh, we gave Beth and Turkey the honor of picking this week's uh, mystery clip. Here's what she gave us. Pay attention. If you know it, email us at sitas at gmail.com and tune in next week to find out. Or maybe next month. We'll just see how things go to find out if you are a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. It's the perfect crime. We've stolen the world's supply of new pink lemonade. Bubbly up! It tastes like pink lemonade. It's the new taste everyone's after. Uh oh. It is I, Detective Yum, find on how to upset bubble yum bubble gum. But pink lemonade makes big pink bubbles. You're all washed the pop off. But it's you who's going to wave goodbye, young finder! New pink lemonade bubble yum, the big taste everyone's after. Back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right, seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis and the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jessie's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night, a movie costume party, pajama party, and neon beach party. You can't miss this. Sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080. Beef jerky time. You want some beef jerky? Oh, please. There's plenty of them. have just a few minutes left. We mentioned uh, Wang Chung earlier. Wang Chung will be on the 80s cruise. Brad and I will be on the 80s cruise. But tell everybody, Brad, who else will be on the 80s cruise now? My wife is coming with me on the 80s cruise. <laughs> the long-suffering Mrs. Williams. Excellent! Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I am so excited. Um, I haven't seen her since we like had that seafood tower in Las Vegas. <laughs> is that true? I thought, no, you saw her in, in LA. Oh, no, I saw her in uh, LA at the Hollywood Bowl. That's true. Good point. But we probably um, spent more quality time together over that seafood tower. It was a brilliant seafood tower. And I think it only cost $300. <laughs> Worth every penny. Anyway, um, yeah, so she's going to come along. Uh, we are madly scouring the internet and our closets and her friend's closets for 80s garb. Uh, I actually, believe it or not, I bought a prom dress on eBay the other day. Really? What size do you wear? Uh, well, that's really kind of between me and the tailor, don't you think, Steve? Just have it take it in on the chest for you. Yeah, I do. I don't, you know, it's all in the rear. (laughs) 
Uh, it'll be fun. Um, I might be bringing someone special too. Oh, but uh, you know we have to let the drama simmer for a little bit longer. I think. I think that's good. That's so, good. Um, but I guess this is the Trading Places show, and I think we mentioned it once before. But I think it's time to reveal to people what our official costume will be for movie night on the '80s cruise. Yep. We are going as uh, this is an obscure character, maybe a little obscure. We'll be going as the baggage handlers from Trading Places. Yep. What? It's my turn to drive. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Well, I'm sure you think it is, but it isn't. No, don't, don't you remember? This morning, you drove the shipment of anchovy paste. Yeah, I drove the anchovy paste, but you had the video tape recorders this afternoon. Well, I just, I backed them up about five feet. We have to take turns. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. It's my turn now. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I just ordered a um, or a set of blue coveralls just arrived the other day. I tried them on this morning to see if they fit. They do. Perfect. So I will be mailing them to Brad here shortly where he will um, have the Amtrak badge stitched onto it. Uh, today I ordered the blue baseball caps for us. It's all good. And that's pretty much the extent of our costume. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think we really have to worry too much about the shoes. No, I'm not going to worry about it at all. You know what kind of concerned me the other day, though? I was thinking about it. What if we get confused as actually like baggage handlers on the boat? Well, then we can go through people's luggage and <laughs> oh. take their rum runner flasks. That'd be good. Yeah. So I haven't decided. Room inspection. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That's going to be a fun trip. I can't wait. So we're like 50 days out now. So that'll be fun. <laughs> Not as cool as this movie, though. I, I'm, I'm shocked that it took us 10 years to cover our trading places. I feel good about the job we did, though. Yeah, it's just it's a great movie. I really think it holds up. It's good performances all the way up and down the the ladder. You know, check it out. And if you don't like it, then you know, complain to Steve. Yeah, as always, you know, your money back if not completely <laughs> satisfied. In the meantime, if you want to come on the eighties cruise, I know it's last minute. There are still cabins available. Do it. Do, Do it now. Yeah, and we. Uh, we're going to get our own cocktail party reception on the boat, and there'll be a VIP. So swanky. Yes. Um, bologna, we'll have bologna boats. Nice. <laughs> and bags of rum. <laughs> bags of rum. <laughs> bags of rum and bologna boats. Oh, my God. Actually, I'm getting kind of hungry now thinking about it. But in the meantime, uh, along with Lewis and Valentine, Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Looking good, Billy Ray. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly.